<coughs> all right, I, uh, I'm not all that well, but I'm, uh, I've gone viral. <laughs> but, uh, anyone who's had uh, radium or chemo, um, keep away from me, because what I've got loves what you've got, and will kill each other off. Um, so I'm not going to get a chance to greet you after the service. I love you all. I'd love to give you a hug and all that, but I'm, uh, I've got to stay my distance. I've got another day or two out of incubation or before I... <laughs> I'm, I really don't know what the doctor said, to be honest. I, she can't give me antibiotics. She can't give me this and that. But it was nice for her to put her hands around my face, <laughs> feel my glands... <laughs> And uh, I don't think she could find any, but anyway, it was good. But there's people here who are worse off than me, and uh, nice to see Norm come come out of uh, out of uh, Heaven's Door and come to worship with us today. Wonderful, mate. Wonderful. You know, I said we've got four retired guys here who are looking after things until Jonathan Stroder comes on the 19th of. January, seven weeks we've got to wait. So we've um, we've got Lionel who's got leukaemia, we've got Neil who had a hip problem and I said we had Michael do communion, you don't know whether he's coming or going. (laughs) Some days I rang him and he was at palliative care at Redcliffe and now he comes here at church and does the communion. And now, (coughs) and I always thought I was the only fit one left but now that's (laughs) a... Knocks on the door. All right, what I want to do today is uh, talk on a subject that I've wrestled with for months. I I want to talk about can a Christian be continually forgiven for the same sin? It's a teaching message. It's not a rah, 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 love you Jesus message, but it's something that I believe we need to take time to go through. It's a doctrinal message. And... One of the things that helped me was about um, a month ago, I was going through Timothy. And Paul said to Timothy, um, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll both save yourself and your hearers. So how we live and what we believe are so terribly important. Be careful with the person that says it doesn't matter what you believe, it's how you live. No, 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 no. Both are key. Both are essential. I uh, just come back from Mount Tambourine where I probably had all the problems and waved my arms around for an hour and a half and conducting, singing up there like you would never, never have heard. I haven't heard for years and years and years. 400 people singing. Uh, you were there. Um, June? It was great. That Thursday night blew me away singing um, It Is Well With My Soul. I've never heard volume like that in my life. I had an hour of that and then another three quarters of an hour the next day and I was puffing and panting like I'm doing now and people were concerned about my health. And <coughs> But my blood pressure's good and I've been to the cardiologist and I've had the stress test and I'm fine. I'm just four kilo overweight, that's all. <laughs> and... Uh, We've got a nurse in the house, so I'm safe, I think. Thank you. <coughs> and 
the main speaker was uh, an Anglican guy. He, he's a bishop of Armadale, actually. Rick, Bishop Rick um, Lewis, I think his surname is. And he told within the Anglican church how there's a movement within the Anglican church that are concerned for the trend of the church. And so they've gotten together, not only here in Australia, but in New Zealand and in England, I just forget the name they call it, concerned for the spirituality of the church and getting back to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? And he said that uh, within probably 12 months, there'll be a massive split right across uh, the world. And so it's important for us to know what we believe because if we don't get our doctrine right, you know, heresy comes in and and uh, a whole lot of problems take place around the world and churches split and whatever. So today we're looking into the subject, can a person continually be forgiven for the same sin? Sin. <laughs> I had a guy about 30, 35 years ago, a friend of mine sent me a lot of stuff around this subject and I've gone through it and I've been wanting to preach it for many, many years but uh, I've not heard a message on it uh, ever, I don't think. Can a Christian continually be forgiven for the same sin? So um, I think there's a lot of confusion on the subject as I have gone from church to church and been in ministry for over 40 years. And I heard some strange and weird and wonderful things about what sin is and what sin isn't and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you might have a bit of an outline to go by today if you want to write down some notes. There's a couple of things I want to say before I get into that, that God's love is unconditional. God's love is impartial. God's love is everlasting, it's infinite and it's perfect. God's love to you and me is not based on my past, it's not based on my potential, it's not based on my performance. God doesn't love a Christian more than he loves a non-Christian. It's unbelievable to think the power of God's love because it says God's love isn't dependent upon me. Romans 5.8 tells us that for God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you and I to get our act together before he died on the cross. He loved us while we were still rebelling. He loved us while we were still sinning. He loved us while we were still ungodly. He loved us while we were willfully disobeying him. God loves us. Wonderful love. We understand and have learnt about Now, we have to understand that God's love and God's desire are two different things. It's God's desire that all of us repent of our sin. That's what he desires. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that. It's God's desire that we stop being disobedient and willfully sinning. Now, I want to use as a definition today <coughs> of what sin is. There are many definitions you can have about sin. Sin I'm using today is a willful violation of a known law of God. All right? A willful violation of a known law of God. I know there's uh, other definitions like missing the mark and, um, and then uh, an error resulting from ignorance or even 
an error of judgment or a flaw in our character or a definition of sin that we sin in word, thought and deed every day. Well, the devil does that and surely the goodness we're a bit better than the devil. But I'm not using <clears throat> Susanna Wesley's definition of sin either. John Wesley and Charles's mum. They had about 20 kids, by the way. She says, whatever increases the authority of your body over your mind, whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience, whatever takes away your relish for things spiritual, whatever obscures your sense of God, that to you is sin, no matter how innocent it may be in itself. I'm not using that definition of sin. I mean, <laughs> that would wipe us all out, wouldn't it? Right there and then. I love the, uh, the uh, Sunday school teacher who was asking the question to his class, what's the difference between, well, uh, he talked about sins of commission and sins of omission. He asked the class, what are sins of omission? And a little boy stood up and said, sins of omission are things that we uh, should have done but didn't do. And uh, that's not a good definition. That's not right. Sins of omission. Things we should have done, <laughs> sins we should have committed, but we didn't. All right. So the question today is, can a person continually be forgiven for the same sin? There's an old hymn uh, line that says, though, though sometimes it hurts the way we live, he always says, I forgive. Now, I don't think Paul would have liked that uh, sung just before he stood to preach. I'm going through Romans chapter 6. If you want to have your Bibles open that or whatever electronic gear you have to follow the Scriptures, Romans chapter 6. And I'm not going to be able to do all this in one hit. Uh, we're going to continue God willing over next Sunday at 9 o'clock. I'll do two, there's five points. They all start with the letter P. I'll do two of them today, God willing. And then next week, God willing, we'll get into that and finish that off. We had a, a huge time this morning, a very incredible sense of God's presence. Awesome sense of God's presence. And um, my fear was that I wasn't going to have any voice for the second, but God was good and uh, enabled me. I wasn't sure how much energy to put in so I'm going to use whatever energy I've got, so stand back. All right. So you have to ask two deeper questions before we answer this question. Our concern is not God's faithfulness and love. We're not worried about God's part in his ability to forgive my sin. The questions are, why would a Christian continually sin, especially the same sin, regularly? Month after month, year after year. And the second question is, is a person who continually, willfully commits the same sin, is he really, truly born of God? And in Romans 6, Paul does a great job in trying to deal with this question with the church. So we want to dig out the scriptures. And uh, the first main point today we want to look at is, Paul deals with the problem of sin. In verses 1 to 2, 
<coughs> verses 1 to 2. And in verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Now, it's obvious that he's already, uh, by his question, he's had a previous discussion on the matter. You've got to go back to chapter 5 of Romans and verse 12, where he talks about the fact that we were under Adam or under sin. And that verse 12 says that sin entered through one man, Adam. Now, I, I, uh, I don't want to um, big name myself and, and show you how smart I am by using the Greek, but I'll use a Greek word here for the word sin, which is harmatia. That's one of the things I did remember when I was in Bible college. I also realised by using Greek that uh, no one's ever gotten saved using the Greek. All right? But we like to big name ourselves sometimes and give the Greek because it sounds rather intellectual and whatever. And I would just say, what I'd like to say to that is, you know, that's what I think of the Greek. And it might be all Greek to you too, I don't know. But the word for sin is armatia, harmatia, H-A-R-M-A-T-I-A. But when you come to this verse 12, it talks about, there's a definite article there, it says, hey, armatia. It's, it's called the, the sin, a particular sin. And that particular sin in chapter 5, verse 12, is original sin. That's our inherent nature. When Adam and Eve sinned, that has been passed on down through the centuries. That sin will never be committed again. You can't have original sin number two. That's what happened right at the beginning. David said, in sin my, did my mother conceive me. It's not that his parents sinned by having him as a child. He was born as a sinner. Now, let me tell you, I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm already a sinner. Do you hear that? Oops. Um, <laughs> I'll need a walking stick up here soon. Yeah, so I, I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I am already a sinner. And from that original sin, because of that inherent nature... Our acts of sin spring from that nature. Sins that we commit spring from that nature. Are you with me? And so they're the things that we need to be forgiven of. And what Christ died for on the cross. <coughs> and then the last part of verse 20 it says, But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. In other words, it's like there's plenty of grace to go around that where sin is abounds, grace does much more abound. And as Paul often does in the book of Romans, he carries on an argument with a uh, imaginary person or an objector. And the objector says, Paul, you've just said that God's grace is great enough to forgive every sin. And Paul replies, that's true. And then the objector says, you are in fact saying that God's grace is the greatest and the most wonderful thing that has ever happened to humanity. Paul replies again, that's true. And then the objector says, if God's grace is the greatest thing that has ever happened to humanity and if sin is present and grace is even more present, then why can we not just as believers continue to go on sinning so that grace may abound? 
And the objector goes on, if grace is overflowing and abounding freely, where sin is also abounding, why then as Christians don't we just continue to sin a lot so we can exhibit more of God's grace? <coughs> All right. It's an, now my voice is getting dark. Uh, it's an appropriate question to ask when Paul in verse 1 says, can we continue in sin? If you have a Bible, if you're in the habit of underlining it, why don't you underline that phrase? Continue or to go on sinning. The word is in the present tense. And it just doesn't mean yesterday, but can we continually sin every day, yesterday, today and tomorrow and live in sin? (laughs) Now, the question is three things. It's not in your notes. You may want to find a spot to write it in if you want to. This question that was asked... It's three things. First of all, the question is logical. In verse 1, if God forgives our sin, and he will, and he does, and grace abounds or increases around sin, well then, it's logical to think, well, let's do it. Who cares? There's plenty of grace to go around. For where sin abounds, God's grace does much more abound. But the second thing is, the question is a natural one. Because there's not a person here who has not been affected by temptation and the desire to sin. <clears throat> now, it's true that some Christians irritate me. or uh, When they come across as though that sin is never pleasing and never a lot of fun. It can be. Hello? Sin can be pleasing and can be a lot of fun. Those of you who have tried it, is that true? Come on, you're too scared to iron up. Of course it is. And then the wife nudges the husband and said, what sin was that that you were found pleasing? <laughs> it's a natural question. But sometimes these Christians come across that they're not affected by it. And they come through the temptation of life as though they're never phased by that. Hands up those who have been tempted to sin in the last 24 hours. All right, let's see that hand. See that hand. Yeah, 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 cool. How, hands up those who have been tempted to sin today. All right. Hands up those who have been tempted to sin in this service. I had a guy right in his front seat this morning, service, put his hand up and everyone started laughing. I said, mate, what's going on, going on in your mind, for heaven's sake? I was only joking. It's a joke, it's a joke. Come on, free up, free up, laugh. <laughs> <clears throat> I'll come round to all of you sometime during the service. So <laughs> I won't breathe on you, but I'll... I'll... It's natural for all of us to feel an attraction to sin in some way. And the third thing is it's a spiritual question to ask. Trying to look into the motives of the person who asks it and they want to give uh, into their fleshly desires and at the same time exhibit the grace of God and say, well, I'm not under law, I'm under grace, so let's love God and do as we please sort of attitude. So to this appropriate question... Can I live in sin? Paul gives an absolute answer and there's not a more plain answer in the Bible 
than the war one Paul gives in verse 2. And he gets carried away a little bit. He says, can I go on saying, by no means. May it never be. Well, the J.B. Phillips says, oh, what a ghastly thought for me to go on sinning as a Christian. And Paul is saying as Christians, the answer he's giving is, no, 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 no way. We cannot afford to continually to live in sin and he gives the reason why. And he asks the question with a question in the latter part of verse 2. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, folks, I'm going to use the Scriptures. This is not my opinion. This is not the church's opinion, although it's based on the word of the Scriptures. Let the Word of God speak to our hearts. Don't let your experience try to fit into the Word of God. Let the Word of God teach us. Amen? so Paul is saying to the Christian no way we cannot afford to continue to live in sin and he gives the reason why we died to it so how can we live in it any longer so when Paul says death to sin or died to sin there are some things that he didn't mean by that statement that I think we need to understand today number one is Paul does not mean that we can never sin again as a Christian or reach a plane of living that I cannot sin. Please hear me out. Get that clear. Paul doesn't mean that we can never sin again. But if we reach the place where as a Christian we could not sin, then why would there be any need for us to pray the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation? Because we couldn't be tempted if we couldn't sin. Temptation always brings for us, before us something that is appealing most of the time. <clears throat> Let me illustrate. I have never been tempted in my life to eat mutton bird. <laughs> now, those of you who are from Tasmania will know all about that. Hands up those who have eaten mutton bird. What did you think of it? And I've got another word for it. (laughs) I have never been tempted to eat mutton bird. However, um, I had to eat it. That greasy, oily meat was revolting. I only ate it in order to win my wife over to marry her. Can any good thing come out of Tasmania? Oh, so no. Yes. <laughs> right. Thank you. Yes. However, I must confess, I've often had the urge to eat more pavlova than I need. <laughs> you can tempt me as much as you like and I will never give in to eat mutton bird. But you see, you can only be tempted in what you like or that you have a weakness for. And Paul says, we're not going to get in, get to the place where we're not touched by the appeal of sin and to sin. 
It says in the scriptures, Jesus was tempted just like us, yet he didn't sin. <clears throat> Let me digress a bit here. And uh, Dave, if you could throw up uh, James 1, 13 to 15, I believe. I want to go through this and I want to tell you what is temptation and what is sin. I'm going to stop as I go through. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted. That is not sin. When by his own evil desires, that is still not sin. He is dragged away and enticed. That is still not sin. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to death. You're a goner. Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin, the song says. Okay, you with me there? And then, <clears throat> and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death, spiritually. So when you become a Christian, you can still have temptations. God does not tempt us, tells us, but he tests us. God does not tempt us by trying to seduce us in sin. God allows Satan to tempt us in order to refine our faith and to help us grow in our dependence upon Christ. We can resist temptation by turning to God for strength. And we give, and uh, if we give in, there's always a way out. As 1 John uh, 2, 1 says, I write these things to you that you don't sin. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Hallelujah for that. <clears throat> and then it says in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, God will not allow you and I to be tempted beyond what we can bear, but will with that temptation provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. There's an encouragement verse for you. The second thing that, that Paul was saying here is he's also not saying as a Christian, I am continually dying to sin. When Paul says, how shall we <clears throat> who have died to sin still live in it? That word died is in the aorist tense. In other words, it's past, you've died to it, it's already happened. So there you go. I know a lot of people who seem to be forever on the cross, but they never die. Romans 5, Paul says, talks about being in Adam and um, he's also talking about being in Christ. And he said, when we are in Adam, we die spiritually and if we, when we are in Christ, we live spiritually. He's talking about two different states of being. When we are in Adam, we are sinful and depraved in our nature and condemned. When we are in Christ, we are forgiven. You look at 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So Paul shows us clearly the difference between being in Adam <coughs> and being in Christ. Being in Adam before we came to Christ. If I could paraphrase that verse, it would go something like this. How shall we who died to sin 
who died to sin still be comfortable in it? That's the question he asked. How can we, if we have died to sin, still be comfortable in it? (coughs) He's saying it's very difficult for the Christian to be comfortable in sin if you have died to it. How can we continue to wallow in sin? And Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul says very clearly that a, a Christian is a new person. He has a new nature. He has a new life. He has a new attitude. He has a new heartbeat. He has a new love and he has a new language because the Bible tells us not to let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth. And unfortunately, folks, I've been around for many years and there ain't not much difference between the believer and the non-believer in that area. How can bitter water and sweet water come out of the same tap? Only reading in James yesterday, how can salt water and fresh water come out of the same tap? Unless you're living in New South Wales and your desalination plant starts to work or whatever. It doesn't make sense. Let your words be seasoned with salt (laughs) and grace and mercy. In Christ or as as a Christian, it's our nature. It's our nature as a believer not to sin or not to want to sin willfully, deliberately. It's the nature of the pig to go to the mud hole. In Romans 6, Paul's talking about a change inwardly, not outwardly. (coughs) Where sin is not just covered, it is removed. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our sin from us. You know, we could take that pig and clean him up on the outside and make him look like babe. We could wash him, we could put perfume on him. We could put a ribbon around his neck and an earring in his ear, in his ear, sorry, in his ear, in his ear, starting to talk like a farmer now. And you let that pig out of the door and he will find the first mud hole. Why? I can tell you because it's the nature of the pig to do it. Paul says in Adam, that's the way it was with us. It was our nature to sin. But when we are in Christ, we should not want to continue to sin. Christ gives us a new nature. <clears throat> we hear a bit about uh, imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. Some denominations talk more about imputed than imparted. But what imputed righteousness is, it's what God does for us without any effort from us. And in part of righteousness, it's what God does in us through the working of the Holy Spirit, enabling us for us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. The working of the Holy Spirit, the change inwardly. It's by way, a beautiful example of imputed righteousness where... God gave Abraham faith to believe (laughs) and then he counted it to him as righteousness. How weird is that? 
God gave Abraham faith to believe and then he credited it to him as righteousness. A double whimmy. Win, win, win. Anyway. Seeing I didn't get any reaction, I'll move on. I'm a joke. <coughs> now, you look at the second, the second main point. Paul gives us the purpose of our salvation. And the middle part of verse 4, that we may walk in the newness of life. And, and that's the reason why we're saved. That's the reason why we become the Christ. We are saved or become Christians to glorify God and to show to this world a Christian example of what a Christian really is. If you want to look at the lifestyle of, um, of a Christian and a non-Christian, we've got two scriptures here. The issue is not, are we as a Christian going to fall into sin? The issue is, are we continually going to fall into sin? The same sin. And Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, idolaters, or male prostitutes, or homosexual offenders, nor thieves, or the greedy, nor drunkards, or slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Now, I'm not Israel Folau, but I'm just telling you what the Bible tells you. Paul says, that's the way you used to live BC, before Christ. That's before Christ came into your life <coughs> and made you a new creature. You look down the latter part of verse 11, chapter 6, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Paul's saying it's impossible for us to be a Christian and to have this kind of lifestyle mentioned in verses 9 to 11. He goes on in Ephesians 5, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper acts for God's people. And what the part that got me there, there shouldn't even be a hint. Not even to have to go and commit the act, not even be a hint. Don't even let my name be associated with these people. I'm sorry, Prince, but your interview during the week... <laughs> Couldn't even remember the occasion when he was involved with this 17-year-old girl. Anyway, I'm glad that this uh, service is not on podcast. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Prince Andrew, but I, I, it was just that was very vivid in my mind. Couldn't remember. In other words, Paul is saying, don't let anyone come up to you and say that they have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ uh, or as a child of God, and yet having that kind of lifestyle. If a person lives that kind of lifestyle, still, and yet still claims to be a Christian, they have neither uh, ever been saved, or they're straining that relationship. And Paul uh, says these people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. The only reason why we continue in sin as a Christian is because we don't hate it enough, we don't realise how sinful it is, and, uh, and uh, the seriousness of, of, of sin on our life. Now, what makes sin sin is that it is against God. 
And in their process of, of sinning and going against God and, and we're hurting other people in the process, that's bad enough. But it's really against God that we are sinning. That's the horror of sin. Sin is an attack on God. It's belittling God. It's like a blow in the face to God when we sin. It was he who was sinned against. It was his law that was violated. It was his kindness that was ignored. It was his love that was uh, trampled on. And if we are continually falling into the same trap of sin, it's because we have not developed a hatred of that sin. We have never really been convicted of the seriousness of sin. We try to excuse it. We try to justify it. uh, Try to water it down and say, well, it's only just a sin. But it's only just the sin. It's the sin that cost Jesus his life. That he was broken for us. That he had a humiliating death. A sin. Glibly speak. A sin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a blow in the face to the Lord. The Holy Spirit. Now, I can't convict you of sin. It's the Holy Spirit that will really need to be able to uh, give us a revelation of the, the seriousness of sin. And a hatred for sin. I can give you stories uh, that would uh, blow you away, but but it's the Holy Spirit in the end that needs to reveal to us uh, the issue that we're dealing with here right now. So, one of the things in becoming a Christian, what it will do for you if you have genuinely given your life to Christ or you surrendered your life to Christ, it will develop a disgust in your life for sin. You've only got to go and read in um, Genesis chapter twenty, uh, chapter thirty-nine, <coughs> the story of Joseph and Potiphar. Now Joseph was put in charge. He was a tall man. He was a handsome man, and uh, he was slave, uh, sold into slavery. But God used that man because of his godly life and because of his godly character and he was put in charge of a very high responsibility uh, in Egypt. Prime Minister probably at that time. And he was given this responsibility to to, uh, look after the whole country because they were going through drought. And then there was Potiphar's wife who day after day tried to seduce him and... uh, and uh, I, I was amazed that it, was, it went on for a long while. I thought it was just a one-off thing, but it was she, uh, often they were on, on their, in their own in the house, and, but she kept uh, hammering him and, and he said, <clears throat> how can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? The world would say, what an opportunity lost. But Joseph, because of his godly character and realized the difference between right and wrong, he said to her, "Um, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? There came a time, however, when they were in the house together on their own and she grabbed him by his coat and he ran off. And she held it up and went off to her husband and said, look what he tried to do to me, he tried to rape me and all that sort of rubbish. And later, Joseph was put in prison 
and God honored him in prison. Oh, the beauty of doing what is right, truth will eventually win out. God will look after you and protect you. Remember, sexual sin is not just between two consenting adults. It is an act of disobedience against God. Even as a Christian, if you fall into sin of any sort, you will want to get out of it. You would say, I don't really belong here. I don't feel comfortable doing this. If you're sensitive to sin and in an unguarded moment something happens like that, you say, hey, something just died within me. Something's not right. My concern today is not just for the person who falls into sin and gets up again, but for the person who falls into sin and seems to be content in falling into the same sin month after month, year after year, without any remorse. And then some Christians, why they struggle constantly and don't grow and mature in their faith. Let's throw that song up, Mark. I don't know whether you remember Mal Goff uh, early in the year. Gave a testimony. She just came off a spiritual high. And then a couple of hours later, she went and sat down in the chair to watch a movie. The movie wasn't all that crash hot. There's something pricked her conscience. She said, what am I doing? Listen to this. What am I doing watching this? She gets up, walks away. She said it may have been okay for other people to do it, but for me, there was something within my spirit that told me that something was not right. I want a principle within of jealous godly fear. A sensibility to sin and a pain to feel it near. Help me the first approach to feel of pride or wrong desire. To catch the wandering of my will and quench the kindling fire that's beginning to burn and to take away the relish and to take away the joy and and take away that love for God. Put out the fire. Nip it in the bud. Brothers and sisters, there is a way out. The blood of Jesus will cleanse and wash away our sin and keep us clean. I believe that while we're walking in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, goes on cleansing while we're walking in the light. Are you willing to take him at his word? Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to believe in him? You know, unbelief is what will keep people away from victory. And I'm going to have to close it there. I'm running out of petrol. <clears throat> but I do want to continue, God willing, next week to finish off and tell how that victory can be ours. It'll be a wonderful day. <clears throat> Lionel spoke to me after the first service 
And he said, Graham, I've got an illustration of a friend who I know personally, I know him too, of what happened to him. And we can, he's going to share that, God willing, next week in the service, in the second service probably, or, or first service. Only one service, that's right. Yeah. Thank you. You're on the ball, Paul. Look, I know what I said today, it was pretty heavy. It's a doctrinal message, something that we've got to work through. You work through it during the week. <clears throat> I was in uh, Mildura recently and I heard this uh, message by Church of Christ. Wonderful message. And he quoted out of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, excuse me. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. I was blown away by that. You want to read that during the week. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And it will show you how it is impossible for anyone who willfully, voluntarily continues to sin. Now, Jono, I told him, our new pastor, what I was going to talk about. He said, oh, why don't you use um, Hebrews chapter 6? I've read through that. No, it's too hot to handle for me. You want to read that too. You want to read that? Hebrews chapter 6, the whole chapter, talking about this. Folks, this is a subject, as I said, I've not heard anyone preach on. It may be new to you. It may be uh, threatening to you. But I believe it's a message that needs to be told. I believe it's all for this planning of a, of a hearing of heavy rain about to come to this church, of God preparing our hearts, of God preparing our hearts and getting our act together. Amen? Amen. I trust I have uh, a good week and uh, I'll be back firing on all eight cylinders next Sunday. Um, we'll finish it off, God willing. Any questions? Good. <laughs> Let me pray with you. Let me pray. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your precious word. I thank you that it's your word that's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces right into our heart. It reveals, Lord, what we're like. It reveals things that we're doing that probably we shouldn't be doing. This reveals things to us that we should be doing that we're not doing. <clears throat> we thank you for your word. Oh, what a release when we say, Lord, it's not my brother, it's my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And to have you come and take that burden and have uh, peace in their heart. The world longs for peace. Oh, Heavenly Father, just minister to our spirits, we pray. Help us not just to poo-hoo the idea and treat it without much thought, but to realise that sin does matter, but you have provided the antidote. Oh, we thank you, blessed Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness and your willingness to go to the cross for us. That is wonderful love, matchless love. Bless each heart, Lord, as we weigh up these things in your precious name. Amen.